God, we look so forward to that day when we'll meet you. Face to face, Lord God. Unveiled by our flesh, my God. Unveiled by anything of this world. Knowing you, Lord God, without limitations and without hindrance, God. God, you're glorious. Hallelujah, Lord. Glory to God. Give him a hand of praise. He's worthy. Amen. I could sing that song for all day, all service. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Jesus really is the cup that doesn't run dry. Mm -hmm. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, we'll begin reading in verse 37, that's where we left off last week. Acts chapter 21 and verse 37, when you got it, say so. And the word of the Lord says, then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not also, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a, city of no, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, let us pray right here. Father, we thank you so much. For your grace, we thank you so much for your love and your kindness toward us. And God, we just humble ourselves before you today, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our hearts, Lord God. That you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. Lord God, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in the earth as it is in the heavens, dear Lord. In us, God. Let us not be hearers alone, but let us be doers of your word, God. Jesus, we submit to you all of our heart and all of our mind, and we thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you so much, God. Use me in these next few moments, I pray in Jesus' good name. And someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so bringing you up to speed today with where we were, for those of you that may not have been with us last week, Paul is in Jerusalem, and he is trying to do things right in order to be an example, in order to show that he is not a violator of the laws of God. And so he goes through all of these things to try to make sure that the people know that he is not, um, that, that he is not against the law, but that he is for Jesus. And so that's the biggest thing of his heart. And in the process of that, he goes into the temple, and when he goes into the temple, there are some Jewish people because, from Asia, because during this time, during the Passover and Pentecost and all of these feasts, what happens is all of the Jews from everywhere would come together to Jerusalem, to the temple. They would come to worship. And so Paul had been all over the world, you know, of the known world pretty much, preaching the gospel. And he had been in Asia, and they wanted to kill him in Asia because they didn't want to hear him preaching about Jesus, especially the fact that Paul says to them that he is going to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. And so... With all this happening, what happens is Paul goes into the temple. He's participating in this Nazarite pledge. And as he participates in this pledge, he goes there. And some of these Jewish men from Asia, they see him and they assume that he brought somebody who was non-Jewish into the temple, which is an abomination. You couldn't bring someone who was not either a proselyte, someone who converted to Judaism, or someone who was um, full-fledged Jewish. You couldn't bring them into the temple because that was blasphemy. And so they accused, they, they assumed that that is what Paul had done. Paul hadn't brought anybody into the temple with him, but what they did was they brought him out. And the reason why this happens, remember, the big picture is not so much these Jewish people from Asia. It is more the devil that doesn't want the gospel to be preached. 
It is more the issue of the gospel that God wants us to preach and that the enemy doesn't want any more people to hear. And so Paul was ruthless in his devotion to preaching the gospel no matter what it cost him. As a matter of fact, on the way here to Jerusalem, he was warned many times by the Holy Spirit that he was going to suffer. And even when they tried to convince him not to go, he said, I'm going because he had an appointment with God to do something and he wanted to make sure that he remained on mission. And so what we find here is something that's crazy. When you look Look at this whole picture. What happens is the Apostle Paul gets gets taken by the crowd and over a lie. The Bible says in, in, in earlier in chapter 21 there, it says that the crowd was confused. They didn't even know why they had come together. As a matter of fact, the people who started the accusations weren't even there to defend anything at this point. And so the people take Paul. Not only do they take him, they start to beat him. Now, I don't know if that, makes, if that makes sense to you. That makes sense to me. They start beating a guy. They don't even know why they're beating him. It's like you all jump on someone. There's just a big mob of people, and you guys just decide you're going to jump in on this, and so that's what they're doing. They're beating Paul, and the beauty of it is is that this you know, governor or, or this guard comes by, and he's like, hold on a second. Let me stop this, and so Paul literally gets rescued from a beating by getting arrested. How many of y'all want to get um, uh, arrested, and that's your rescue? Hello. I don't think I want to be rescued like that, but his rescue from the beating was him being arrested. And so it's like, okay, do I want to be beaten or do I want to be arrested? Neither, but I guess I'll choose this one because at least I won't be beaten. Hello. And so what we see here, what I'm saying right now, what I hope you got is that this is a big old mess. Say it's a big old mess. But in the midst of that mess, God was there orchestrating everything. You see, that's the beauty of this. You see, when we look at these chapters here, we don't necessarily see some big power of the Holy Spirit that is manifesting unless you are not looking with spiritual eyes to see the miracle that is taking place while the enemy is trying to oppose the gospel, while the enemy is trying to hinder the furtherance of the message that God has placed inside the Apostle Paul. What God begins to do is order and divinely direct his steps. And even while they try to bring confusion and bring destruction and short circuit the plan of God, God brings someone else in the midst of a situation that is not ideal. Hello, somebody. We automatically think that whenever we are in a situation that is difficult, well, I want an ideal situation to be delivered into. And it does not always happen like that. Sometimes the situation you go into is difficult, but you know what we do? We miss God moving in the midst of the mess. That's where we get these cliche statements that say stuff like, you know, God want to turn your test into a testimony. Amen? Or how about this one? God wants to turn your mess into a message. Glory to God. And so the reality is that's because someone got wind of the fact that in the midst of situations that are not ideal, that don't make any kind of sense, there's all kind of confusion. You see that the officer here takes Paul and is like, first of all, he's confused because Paul is speaking Greek to him. Secondly, he's confused because he's like, aren't you this Egyptian that caused these assassins? He said, nope, I'm not that guy. So this dude is all kind of confused and God is in the midst of this. And I'm telling you right now, God is not the author of confusion, but he is the one who will bring clarity out of your confusion. That is what God will do if we will walk with him through the situations that we're going through. And so what we do see is while we may not see someone being resurrected, we see the miraculous power of God orchestrating and ordering these, the steps of the apostle Paul. And in verse 22, we'll look at this. It says this. It says, or in verse, in verse 40, I'm sorry, not, not verse 22. In chapter 21, verse 40, right before we get into chapter 22, he says, So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. What I want to talk to you today is a message that is entitled, Living Proof. Say, Living Proof. We are called to be living proof of the gospel. Our lives are supposed to be that. And every one of us that is here, and I hope you're taking notes so that way you can write down some stuff that should hopefully be applicable to you, and I will hope will be helpful to you to assist you to be able to better share your faith with other people because that's what this is all about. I don't want to just get up here and just preach to you because I always pray this. Every time that I preach, I always pray, God, let us be doers of your word, not just hearers, right? And so I want to give you some practical steps for you to be able to do. And for some of this stuff, this is going to be real basic and, you know, below you, but I hope it's not. Amen? Because, you know, I, I know some of us, you know, we, we always want to be all deep and, and all revelatory and all this stuff, but can we just apply? Hello, somebody. Can we just apply our Bible? Can we just look at the scriptures and say, okay, this is how I live this out. So what, what, what is happening here, God is speaking to us and he's communicating and he's showing us that we're called to be living proof. And the thing is this, everyone in this room, say this with me, say everyone in this room, everyone in this room. 
has a testimony. Everybody in this room has a testimony. Listen, if you know Jesus, you have a testimony because if you know him, then there was a time that you knew you didn't know him. Hello. Let me say that again. If you know him, you knew there was a time that you didn't know him. Hello. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Listen, because if you really know Jesus, you, you know, you might have thought you knew him. I, I, I love, there, there's a brother, he, um, him, he had a huge family, um, and they, they, were, they were coming here. Um, his name is Ephraim. His wife's name was Venus, and you probably, you remember them. They were coming with like a whole tribe, glory to God. Um, they, live, they, they, they live in St. Cloud, and so that was a long trek for them to be coming every Sunday. I thank God they found a good church over there. Homeboy is on fire. He's posting all over Facebook. I love what one of his posts was yesterday. He posts on there, and he was, I mean, this dude is just like on it. He's, he's, he's worse than me on Facebook. Just like, I mean, he's cutting people. He's like, I'm, he's like, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna have to cut some of y'all off. Y'all ain't gonna be able to be my friends because y'all don't know how to act. I'm like, glory to God. And so, um, you know, he's there and he's testifying at every opportunity that he has. And what he starts to say in one of his posts, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember it verbatim, but he starts talking in one of his posts. He says, man, you know, I remember when I used to be that person that used to get offended when people would post certain stuff. And I would be like, why are these religious people like this? And why are they like this? And he's like, it's because I didn't know Jesus. He's like, and thank God I know Jesus. And now I realize why these people were the way they were. It's because they know him and they want you to know him. They want you to be changed by him. Glory to God. And so what happens is for us, as we are coming to Jesus, there is a time where we may think, oh, I know Jesus. I'm cool with Jesus. And then your life gets rocked and you realize, I didn't know him. You thought, okay, I was doing all right. I was Mr. Religious, Miss Religious. I was doing my thing. I might have even been praying. I might have even been reading the Bible. I might have been going to church every Sunday. I might have been going to youth group all the time. I might have been going to Bible. I might have been in a small group, glory to God. I might have went on a mission trip. You see, the thing is this, is that people are walking around. I mean, you got to think about your Bible and what it says. It says this. It says, many will come unto me in that day, talking about the final day of judgment, right? And saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not do great works in your name? Lord, Lord. They're, they're going to say all of these things because they thought they knew him. And he is going to say to them, part from them. Apart from me, you workers of iniquity. So what does that mean? There are many people that think they know Jesus. And you may be sitting in this place today. You think you know Jesus, but he really wants to introduce himself to you. He wants to make sure that you really know him, that you don't have a knowledge of him, but that you know him and that your life has been changed and that you will have what I'm talking about today, which is a testimony, which means that it's a story about your before you knew Jesus and after you came to faith in Jesus. See, some of us have different testimonies. Some people think, well, I don't have a testimony because I grew up in church and then, you know, I had that encounter with Jesus and then I was all good. You still got a story. Hello. You still have a testimony. You know, some people got gruesome testimony. You was a gangbanger. You was a drug dealer. You was all up and doing all of this crazy stuff. And, that, and okay, that was you. That, that, that's, that's a testimony. That testimony is no different than someone else's testimony. They all have a testimony of before they met Jesus. Which is what we all need to make sure that we realize. I love this. It is because while theology is necessary, it is empty without a testimony. Listen to what I'm saying. Theology is necessary. The correct study and knowledge of what the Word of God says about God is necessary. But if I have a bunch of theology and no testimony, no reality of God in my life, my theology is empty. Let me say it like this. The, the, the gospel displays itself, dis, displays its miraculous power in and through our lives as they are lived in obedience to the scriptures, submission to the Holy Spirit as sojourners or aliens or those who are passing through in this world living on mission. Let me say that again. The gospel displays its miraculous power in and through our lives as they are lived in obedience to the scriptures, submission to the Holy Spirit as sojourners or aliens or those passing through in this world who are living on mission. The gospel is seen in our lives. The power of the gospel is seen when we live lives that are different than those of the world. As we were in prayer this morning and, and, and we, were, we were crying out to God, um, we have prayer. Just by the way, I, I always forget to announce this. And so since I'm thinking about it, I'll say it now. From 6 o'clock in the morning to about 7.30, 7.45, there are, there are some of us that just come here in the morning. We just really are hungry for God. We really want more of God. We really want to see revival happen. And it is open to anyone to come. We don't have any agenda. We may sing worship. We may pray. Um, but we really just want to cry out to the Lord. But as we were in that time of prayer this morning and we were crying out to him and we were seeking his face, one of the things that came in the inspiration, and I, and I began to pray, I said, God, God, as we declare unto you, you're holy, you respond to us, be holy. 
As we declare unto you, you're righteous, you respond to us, be righteous. As we declare unto you, you're perfect, you respond to us, be perfect. Why? Because we are image bearers of God. We are not supposed to be people who just have a knowledge that God is holy. We are supposed to be a people who reflect the holiness of God. We're not supposed to be a people that can explain doctrinally and theologically, well, you know, this is what it means that God is holy, he is righteous. It means that he's different. He's separated. There's no sin in him. That's beautiful. But the question is, are you separated are there is there no sin in you do you look like the one who you declare you know because if you don't have a testimony your theology is empty church and so we have to think and 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 the, the telltale sign that you really know him is that does your life reflect him so what happens is this God has called all of us every one of us out of darkness to be the living proof of the power of the gospel repeat this after me for my first point to be living proof we must be willing to defend our faith. To be living proof, we must be willing to defend our faith. Look at, look at chapter 22 and verse 1. Paul begins to speak and it says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. So he starts out his conversation letting us know that he is about to defend himself. Now as a Christian, you may have heard, you know, you don't need to defend yourself, let God be your defense. Amen? Someone say amen if you heard that. And that's good theology. I like that. I think that that's good application. In many situations, you shouldn't defend yourself. But if that's the case in every situation, then Paul is not right here. Hello. But Paul starts out saying, hear my defense. I looked up the word. It just means that. His defense. His communication about his life. And so the first thing is we got to be able to defend. The book of Jude tells us that we are supposed to contend earnestly for the faith. That's where we get the word apologetics from. And apologetics does not mean to apologize. It means to explain why you believe what you believe. Are you here? And so we are supposed to be those people who are, who, who are, who are living lives. It doesn't mean you got to get, uh, again, I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that everybody has to be a Ravi Zacharias and all of these amazing guys that are, that, that are just powerful apologists. Not everybody has to be that. But everybody needs to be an apologist in their situation where God has placed them. Hello. Are you hearing me? If you have people in your workplace that are Jehovah's Witnesses, you have people in your workplace that are Mormons, you have people in your workplace that, 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 are, that are atheists, agnostic, you have people in your workplace that are deists, you have people, what type of people are around you in work or school or wherever you are? What type of people are around you when you're at the gym? What type of people live in your neighborhood? God wants us to be those apologists. That is what living proof is. It is people who don't just know their Bible but know how to explain the truth of Scripture. That's what we're all called to do. And so what God says here, is, or what Paul says here, is he's like, listen, hear my defense. And so no question about it, he's about to defend himself. Here is the better question, though. What is the motive of his defense? What is the motive for him to defend himself? See, when I look at Paul getting ready to, to defend himself, the first thing we know, he wasn't trying to defend himself so he could fit in with everyone else. Hello. Now, that, that wasn't his motive. He wasn't trying to defend himself so he wouldn't be so offensive. Hello. That wasn't it. He wasn't trying to, well, let me explain so that I don't offend. No, no, no. He, it wasn't that. He wanted to defend himself for a greater purpose. He didn't want to defend himself because he was seeking acceptance from everyone, right? Because he felt rejected and he had low self-esteem. One person got that. He wasn't defending himself, trying to gain friends. and That wasn't the motivation of him defending himself. He wasn't trying to defend himself. I love this one. He wasn't trying to defend himself to prove himself right and everyone else wrong either. See, for us as Christians, that's how I want to do it. I want to make you understand that I'm right and you're wrong. I, I want to make you get this, that, that whatever you believe is fit. Listen, you want to get to that point, but that should not be the reason why you start defending yourself. Hello. It shouldn't be to prove people wrong because when that, you know what that's called? That's called haughtiness, uh, a.k.a. pride. Hello. That's when you got to be right, everyone else is wrong. Listen, you know you're right. I'm telling you right now, everyone of you in here, you're right if you believe in Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. But we need to be, I said it last week, as wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. Hello. And so you got to make sure you're not coming with the venom of pride. Glory to God. But that you're coming with the truth of Scripture in a way that is impacting their hearts. In a way that is, bringing, that, that is bringing challenge, that is bringing conviction to their lives. So what was Paul's motive? His motive, again, same thing as last week. He wanted the crowd to know his innocence so that way he would be able to testify of Jesus. 
That was his whole goal. And you'll see right now when we look at his testimony, his whole goal and all of his testimony was, listen, I want you guys to know that I am not against the law. I want you guys to know that I'm not opposed to Judaism in any way, shape, or form. I want, but the reason why I want you to know this is not because I want you to put your arm around me. It's because I want you to put your heart around Jesus. It's because I want you to hear the message of the gospel that is going to come forth. And that has to be our heart. That has to be the reason why we want to help people to understand why we say no to the things we say no to. And you should be saying no to some stuff. Hello? Why we don't laugh at certain jokes, I hope there's some jokes you don't laugh at. Hello, somebody. There are some jokes that should not be funny to you and I. Y'all, 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 I got two amens in the house. I'm just saying. I'm serious. I mean, you know, you think about it. You can't just be laughing at every dirty, nasty, foul joke that comes out there and be like, yes, I'm giving a great testimony. No, you're not. I'm just, you know, I'm becoming all things to all men. You're becoming a fool. Some things should not be funny. Some things should not be. And so, but they need to understand why it is you're straight faced when they're over there, you know, ball, you know, just, just laughing, and, laughing it up. They should understand why. Not because you're some religious, egotistical person, but it's because your heart has been changed and there are certain things that are not humorous to you. Hello. I'm just saying, that's what should be happening to us. And so the reason why we, he does this is because, see, what Paul did in a different context, but the same thing, he was different than the rest of these people. Everybody else that was Jewish, they didn't want to hang out with you. They didn't want to hang out with the Gentiles. They wouldn't go and eat with them. They wouldn't go to those places. They would not do that. That is because they were taught that those things were unclean, those things were ungodly, and so they were separatists. Paul, on the other hand, was like, look, man, I've been called to go preach to them because I've been liberated by the power of the gospel. Let me say this, and I'll move on to the next point. The wrong motive in defending ourselves is self-preservation. Hello. If you're trying to preserve yourself, that's the wrong motive to defend yourself. Listen, if you think about it, when, 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 you, when it's time for God, God, God can preserve you. Amen? And I'm going to show you later on here, Paul does something. It is not self-preservation in the same context that I'm using it here. I'm talking about when you are preaching the gospel, when you are living a life that brings glory to Jesus. That is what I'm talking about. You don't defend yourself because you don't want people to talk about you. That isn't it. You don't defend yourself because you don't want people to, you know, not like you. The Bible says not everyone's going to like you. And as a matter of fact, if everyone likes you, there's a problem. I'm just saying. If everyone likes you, you need to check yourself. And I'm not just talking about other Christians either. Hello. There's some Christians that don't like I'm not talking about Christians. As a matter of fact, they're supposed to love you. They're, you're supposed to love one another. I'm talking about people who don't know Jesus. Some of them are not going to like you, and, and, and they're, they're, they're not going to want to be around you. It's just they're, they're, there's, there's a difference. I, I posted on Facebook. I said, it's not always your attitude that's the issue. Sometimes it's two different worldviews that are colliding. It's not because you got a nasty attitude. It's just because you believe differently. You see the world. If you are a Christian and you have been born again, here is what should have happened. You should have received a new heart. Therefore, you should have a new way of seeing life. And you see everything in this world through the view or the lens or the filter of the Word of God. And when you see life through that, through that filter and through that lens, everything changes. It takes a different perspective. That's what happens when we have a changed heart. So we shouldn't be trying to preserve ourselves. We should be trying to make sure that it's about Jesus. I defend the faith, not myself. Hello. Say this with me. To be living proof, we must remember the power of our testimony. To be living proof, we must remember the power of our testimony. And the first thing that I'll say is that when we look at the power of our testimony, the first part, and I want to make real, I, I, I don't want to make light of this, but I want to make this point right now. Our testimony begins in the way that we live, but it does not end there. Did you hear what I said? Our testimony begins in the way that we live, but it does not end there. People are not mind readers. Hello. You don't laugh at this, you don't go to those places, you don't participate. While guys are looking at pornography and looking at women and all this kind of stuff, you're not. Why is that? While other women are talking about this guy's fine and that guy's this and, I would, and you're not doing all that. While all of those things are occurring, 
Why is it that I'm not doing that stuff? Why is it, well, okay, that's your testimony, and they'll think a lot of things. I'm going to tell you what happened to me. This is the perfect example. I used to work at a job. This is so funny. I'm about to turn red probably, but anyway, I'll try not to. Um, I worked a job. I used to be, a, um, I used to be the shipping and receiving clerk at West Point Stevens in, off, of, off of International Drive. And when I worked there, there was this one guy, I mean, he was just like, had like three different girlfriends and all this kind of crazy stuff. And I used to be in the back and I'd be doing my thing. And when I would have to come to the front of the store to fold towels or fold sheets or to stock stuff, you know, he would be there. And so people are watching you, whether you ever say you're a Christian or not, they're just watching to see what you're doing. See, you know, we're hanging out, him and I are talking. And so I didn't even know this until I left this job. So anyway, I worked there for all of this time. And, um, as, as I'm working there, you know, he's talking about his girlfriends. I talk about my wife. I didn't have anything to say about anything. He's looking at women. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing the stuff that he was doing. And it's not to boast, man, because I struggle just like every other man. So let me get that out of your mind right now. Here's the thing. In that, in that situation, I leave the job, and then Raphael comes, and he starts working there. So later on, Raphael tells me that the guy was talking to Raphael, and he's like, dude, that's your, that, that's your pastor or whatever? He's like, yeah. And he's like, man, he said, I thought he was gay. Because he wouldn't look at women. He wouldn't talk to me about women or nothing like that. It's like I thought there was something wrong with him <laughs> when I first met him. Now, here's the thing. I talked to the dude about Jesus. What he was telling Raphael was before he knew I was a Christian, that's what he thought about me. Before he knew because I was different. But there's a lot of reasons why you could be different. Hello? I'm just saying. <laughs> right? And so the point is, if I would have left it there, he would have thought, well, he's gay and that's it. And I would have never been able to have any kind of impact on his life. Our testimony starts in the way that we live, but it does not end there. So Paul's defense or his testimony consists of three parts, which all of our lives should consist of. And this is the parts where you get real practical here. His prior conversion life, his encounter with the Lord in conversion, and his call to preach the gospel. Three things. So let's read this together. We'll read in verse 2. We'll start reading in verse 2. And we'll read down in verse 21, and then we'll break this down together. Verse 2 says this, And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. And so let me just help you to understand this. He starts his defense off saying, I am indeed what you are. He's saying, I am what you are. I'm the same as you. His prior conversion life, I am the same as you. Even till after conversion, I'm still a Jew, right? And then he's saying he was raised here in this city under the feet of Gamaliel, who Gamaliel was. He was one of the known teachers. He was like, you know, you think about Harvard and Yale and all that kind of stuff. Gamaliel was like the leader of one of those schools in the Jewish community, okay? He was, he was the man. He really knew his stuff. And anybody who sat under him, this guy was a Pharisee of Pharisees as well. And so... He goes on to say, I was taught according to the law, to, uh, according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Now notice what he does. He relates with them. He doesn't belittle them. He, does, he, he doesn't belittle them here. In his pre-story, when he's given his pre-story, he's not belittling them. What he is doing is he is bringing himself to their level. He's saying, listen, I'm a Jew just like you guys. He's saying, I am exactly like you are. He said, I was zealous just like you are. You guys are zealous for something. You guys are passionate. He wasn't saying you shouldn't be passionate. He made sure that he communicated with them, that he knew that. He goes on to say, this is how passionate I was. He was in verse 4. He says, I persecuted this way to death. Binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Verse 5 says, Also, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were, who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed. And so, pause for a moment. So he says here, he's talking about his prior conversion. He's saying, listen, this is how passionate I was. I was passionate enough that I was killing people, that I was having people incarcerated because I was against this way that I'm now for. So the first part of his testimony, same part of your testimony is what? It's your before Christ. You're being able to relate with people. And that's why you got to be able to say, man, there was a time that I did not know Jesus because you always knew him. Then how can you relate to anyone? Hello. That doesn't know Jesus. And so... He communicates that to them. So that's gospel part one. What's gospel part one? Is that we are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. 
This is what he was saying. He was saying, listen, I was righteous. I was doing this thing. I was living according to the strictness of the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's saying, I was very, very zealous. I was opposed to this way. He said, listen, I thought that I was 100% correct, and yet I was still a sinner. I thought that I was righteous before God, and yet I was still a sinner. I was still separated from God. I was still opposed to God. He goes on in verse 6, he says, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And so he's, re he's retelling the story of his conversion. He's saying exactly how. It's important that you think about how did you exactly meet Jesus? How did it happen for you? Maybe for you, you were sitting down and you were reading your Bible, and as you were reading the Word, that's when God illuminated your heart. Maybe you were sitting down here in a preaching, and you recognized something. Maybe you were having a conversation with someone. For some people, you were sitting down watching a preacher on TV, and you realized, man, I'm separated from God. Something came over you. You had a conviction. But the question is, the first part of your testimony is before you met Jesus. The second part that is so important is how exactly did you meet him? Listen, this does two things. This makes power for your testimony to communicate with others. But number two, it keeps you remembering how wonderful and awesome God is to you. It keeps you recognizing his mercy and his grace towards your life. He goes on and he says, and I fell to the ground and, and, and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And he says, and since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand, those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Now, what you see here is the second thing is in his conversion. What does he do? He exalts Jesus as being the one he was sinning against. He recognizes, I was a sinner. I thought I was righteous, but I wasn't. Not only was I not righteous, but I was sinning directly against God. Everything that I was doing, it wasn't just against people. It wasn't just against the church. But anything that I did against the church, I was doing against Jesus directly. That's what he's communicating. He's saying, I recognize that my sin primarily is against God Almighty, which is what we have to recognize because we won't turn from sin if we don't realize we're sinning against God. Hello? Because God is the one that judges us. And so he exalts Jesus as being the one he was sinning against. In all of his righteousness, he was still sinning. While he thought he was righteous, he thought he was doing all of the right things. He's still a sinner that needs Jesus. Gospel part two, Jesus died to save sinners Paul says later on that he was the chief of them. To deliver them from hell through faith in Jesus and repentance towards God. And what he does, I love this story because he goes and God, you know that the Bible says God offers a new heart. He offers us a right standing with him. He offers us a new life completely. But I like one particular thing about Paul. And is that when Paul has his encounter with Jesus, he is blinded for the moment. This is so beautiful because what happens is he is blinded so he can no longer see. But he is in the spirit seeking God. And when his eyes and his vision come back to him he now has a new vision for life and that's what God wants to give us as well he doesn't he wants us to not see the world any, anymore the way that we used to but he wants us to see the world through a different lens with a different view but that only happens hear me church when we separate ourselves and spend time with him it doesn't just happen because you heard a message and okay I'm gonna change my view listen you may change your view from here to the car hello you may make it from here to the, to, 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 the, to, to the place you went to eat, glory to God. You might even make it to tonight. You may make it to tomorrow morning. But I promise you, hello, at some point, if you are not separating yourself, listen, here's what happens is you, you, your view gets changed moment by moment. The Bible says we go from glory to glory as we look upon the, the, the glory of the Lord, right? And so here's what happens. You may hear a message and be changed and, and be pricked in your heart and recognize I need to change the way I think and the way that I am. But if you don't spend time with him later on, guess what will happen? Your view will go back to the same way that it was. And as you continue to spend time with him, that he continues to renew your mind. That's why my wife read that scripture, that we should be living sacrifices, right? That we should no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so the first thing we see is his before life. He shows that he's a sinner. The second thing that he communicates is that he is showing the offer that God makes to all of us. 
And what does he say? He shows his own repentance. He says, Lord, what should I do? In other words, I'm not doing the right thing, so what do I need to do? I know I need to turn from this, but I need to walk with you. And so God shows him, and God brings this man by the name of Ananias that comes to him. In verse 12, it says this. It says, And a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. And see, I love this again. Look what he does in his defense. He's very particular in what he says. He starts off with, I'm a Jew. He goes on to say he has an encounter with this Jesus. And then after his encounter with Jesus, it isn't a Gentile that comes to him, so he gets his sight back. And this is all God orchestrating this like 20-something years ago because God knows this conversation is going to happen. Hope you all are seeing this picture. What happens is he's saying, look, He's saying, this person had a good testimony. He wasn't a hater of the law. So I didn't get my brain washed, and I didn't get all mixed up or something like that by somebody who didn't know the law. But I got touched through someone who knew the law and had, didn't just know the law, but had a good testimony with all of the Jews. Amen? And so he goes on and says, and this Ananias comes there. And he came to me in verse 13 and says, he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witnesses to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And so now let's pause for a moment. In the second part of his testimony, he shows that all of us get this gift or this offer of salvation through what Jesus has done for us. That's what we understand by the gospel. And then the third part of this is very important because now is when you start to see what should happen. You shouldn't just get a new testimony that you met Jesus, but now you should be sent out on mission because, as we say, we are all missionaries. Amen? Not just people who go overseas, but every one of us is missionaries in the places that we live. And so Paul is in this time seeking God's face, praying to him, and God speaks to him. And then look at verse 19. It says, So I said, Lord... They knew that I in every synagogue, I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So the first thing is, in your story, you should have what? You should have your testimony before you met Jesus. The second thing is in your, in your testimony should be when you met Jesus, how you met Jesus. When did the light bulb turn on in your life? Everybody's story is going to be different, but the light bulb had to turn on. There had to be some conviction that came. your life has to be different after you meet Jesus. Are you hearing me? And, it, and, and listen, there's some people are certain ways. I mean, there, there's some people that don't have, I mean, glory to God. Some of us raised in Christian homes. So there's certain things that we're not going to experience. It doesn't mean that. But from your heart, from your heart, your life has to be different. Listen, you may, you may, you may have been a good wife, and then you just recognize, man, I need Jesus. And now your motive is not just to be a good wife, but it is to what? It is to honor God through the way that I love my husband. Hello. Because I'm not going to say that every person who is not a Christian is just horrible in their behavior. What I am going to say is that no matter how good you are in your behavior, you're still a sinner in the presence of God. That's the reality. And it is when we recognize that, that we realize that our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. Then we have this testimony of the light bulb going off and realizing I need his saving grace in my life as good as I am. Hello. Because my goodness is not good enough in order to bring him the glory that he is worthy of. And so the third part of the mission is not just, or, or, or it goes from the conversion to then the mission. Or the third part of your testimony is your mission. Immediately following his, his conversion, his life went from destroy the way to demonstrate the way to everyone. So he starts off, what does he want to do? He wants to destroy the church. He starts off, he wants to totally stop any preaching of the gospel. He wants to totally stop the growth of what he thought was a cult. Amen? This is what he wanted to do. And then immediately, because his heart has changed, his life has changed, 
God calls him, and he begins to do what? He begins to demonstrate the way. He begins to argue with people. He begins to refute them. He begins to show them in the scripture from all of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. He begins to show them this Jesus, he's the one we've been waiting for. He goes to doing that, but then God calls him, and God says, listen, they're not going to accept your testimony, and you hear, this is what I want you to get, you hear his heart, because he says, but God, they know me. Why wouldn't they listen to me? They saw the life that I lived. They knew that I hated the church. They knew that I was opposed to the way. They knew that I was totally against this Jesus. They knew this. God doesn't give him a reason why. He just says, they're not going to accept your testimony. He says, but I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And see, our hearts should be broken. See, because here's what happens to many of us, and I'm sure you can relate with this. You would think, and I know with me, I mean, I was a heathen. I mean, I have one of those testimonies that's crazy. I won't share right now, but um, I, was, I was messed up. Anybody who, when I sit down and talk to people that never knew me before, never heard my testimony, they're like, there is no way that that was you. Like, that was me. Nah, yep. Let's go, let's go talk to my mom. She'll testify. Hello. But here's the thing, I'm always like, man, didn't my brothers and sisters see what God did in my life? Why won't they serve Jesus? I have no idea. But you know what I do? I love them anyway. And I'm, and, and, and I'm the same, and, and we have to be the same way that the Apostle Paul is. We have to have a brokenness in our hearts. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we're going to do today is we're going to begin to pray for those who should believe because of our life and have not. So our testimony should have that. There should be the part that we didn't know Jesus, the part that we know him or we come to know him, and then the part where we go out on mission on him because that's what we're supposed to do. I'll say this to reiterate the point that I said earlier. The greatest defense of the gospel is not our depth of theological understanding, but it is the veracity and the visibility of our transformed life. It's not because we know every single scripture. It's not because we have memorized so much of our Bible. All of that is important. But if our life is not visibly different, if our life is not visibly exemplifying the power of the gospel, where is the power? Where is the power for others? If my life shows no difference, how can I offer some? Listen, if my marriage is falling apart, how can I offer help to someone else? How can I, I, can, I, can, I, well, I can tell them, hey, man, you can go to Jesus, but they're going to be like, yeah, but look at your marriage and you, aren't you with Jesus? Are you hearing me? This is how crazy we are sometimes. We, 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 we want to point people to Jesus, like, look, but they're looking. <laughs> look, he's the Savior. They're like, where? <laughs> but let me, what, right there. We are, the Bible says, we are living epistles. I love, the, I love the saying that some people will never read a Bible, but you will be that Bible to them. You will be the only Bible that some people read. And hopefully you introduce them to Jesus and then they'll start to read the Bible for themselves and realize, yeah, he's fallen, but Jesus is not. Amen. Doesn't mean we're going to have perfect lives, but there should be some power that exists and that we see the gospel moving. Third thing, repeat this with me. Say to be living proof. We can't take rejection personal. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, and we'll read down to the end here. Verse 22 says, and they listened to him until this word. Now notice, they, they, they were cool with everything he was saying. They were amazed at his testimony. Everything was wonderful. And when they went and told him, but God is sending me to the Gentiles, they're like, we do not want to hear this guy. And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander saying, take care what you do for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? He said, yes. The commander said, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. And so 
The first thing that we understand, and, and, and I think by now, I mean, we're on chapter 22 of the book of Acts. We should have a clear understanding. People are going to reject the gospel. Amen? And guess what? If you are a preacher of the gospel, and I don't mean a preacher like me. I mean a preacher like you. If you are living the gospel, guess what they're going to do? They're going to reject you. They're not going to want to hear from you. See, what, what, what happens to us is this, is that when we embrace the reality that folks will think we are out of our minds, we are old-fashioned, we are outdated, and the like, when we live from the gospel, then we're going to be able to say, I can't take rejection personal. Are you hearing me? See, because what happens is when we decide that we're going to live our life, when we decide, and, 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 and when, when I say live our life, when we decide that we are going to take the word of God at face value, when we decide that we are going to live out the scriptures, when we decide we're going to live a certain way, when we decide that we are not going to participate in certain things, when we decide that we are going to go out of our way to share our love, when we decide that we are going to forgive people who they're like, why would you forgive them? When we decide that we are going to help people like, why would you help them? When we decide that we are going to demonstrate the love of God, then what begins to happen is people start to think, man, these people are out of their mind. Hello. They start to think there's something wrong with you. But that's what it means to live out or to live from the gospel, to live from the gospel, that I live my life to give glory and honor to Jesus. I live my life to bring glory and praise to his name. See, here's the thing that we need to understand. We can't take this rejection personal. Paul preached. He, he did his best. Paul, if you look at him here, and, and you'll see him defending himself for the, rest of the, for the rest of the book of Acts. But what happens is he did everything he could. He came to Jerusalem. He went, and he, went, he went under the vow that, the, um, that, that James and the elders asked him to go under. And after that, he, he went ahead and he did a great job defending himself. And you know what they still did? They still rejected him. They still didn't want to hear the gospel. They still didn't want to hear the message of salvation and grace. And so for us, we understand the same thing's going to happen. We're going to be rejected. People are not going to want to hear everything that we have to say. But the question is this, do I stop saying it because they don't want to hear it? Do I stop living it because they don't want me to live it? Do I stop preaching the gospel? And, and listen, when I say preach the gospel, I don't mean shove religion down their throat. There's a difference between shoving religion down someone's throat and preaching the gospel to them. Let me tell you the difference. One of them is shoving religion down someone's throat is, I want you to live holy before you're a Christian. Why you got a curse around me? Oh, y'all thought you were supposed to do that, right? Let me ask you a question. Are they Christian? Why do you expect them not to curse? Because you're so holy, so they should be holy when they're around you? That's shoving your religion down their throat. Now listen, you need to be wise. Let's amen, somebody. You don't need to bring your kids around no craziness. Hello, somebody. And in certain situations, you don't need to be around. But what I'm saying is, you try to convert someone... Before they're converted, hello. You want to conform them to the image and likeness of God as a Christian. They haven't even said yes to Jesus. That is shoving religion down their throat. Preaching the gospel is different because preaching the gospel is making sure they understand they need to put their faith in Jesus. It's not about changed behavior. It's about a changed life. It's about a changed heart. And that is the difference. It is not trying to make someone live holy. When you want them to live holy, that is shoving religion down their throat. When you want them to put faith in Jesus, that's a different thing. The gospel is a different thing. And, and, and you, you, every opportunity that you have, and listen, when I say every opportunity that I have, it doesn't mean you got to go through a full, you know, full-fledged, God is holy, you're a sinner, Jesus died on the cross. Listen, you may have parts that you can share at certain moments, and you need to be wise as to which ones are appropriate for the time. I think Lecrae, I think, yeah, I'm, I, 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 think I like him on Twitter or something like that, or I follow him, there it is. Follow him on Twitter, and he made some kind of statement the other day. He said, be patient with people, because most of the time it's a process. Be patient with people, because most of the time it is a process. 
I, I, I shared with you before, and I, and I share these things with you because I want you to be active in evangelism. So finally, you know, after the summertime and I got back into a regular routine, I made it back to the gym. And so I walked in there on a Wednesday, and I was just seeing if there was anyone there to play racquetball. And, and the guys that I played racquetball with before, they were there. And it was amazing because we went and played racquetball. And after we were done playing racquetball, it's like one of the guys, he went right back to the same story he told me the last time. So I was like, God, you are so awesome. You just opened this door wide open for me because I thought, man, I should have said this, should have said that. Guess what I did? I said this. And I said that. Amen. <laughs> and, it's, and it's hilarious. It's, it's so funny. Uh, and it, one, one, one of them, he, you know, they're, they're both unsaved. One of them goes to, goes to um, Catholic church, and the other one doesn't at all. And it's, it's funny to me because the one that doesn't go to church at all, he's telling me, man, you thought I was the one you needed to save. It's him. And I was like, dude, I need to get you. At least he's going somewhere and hearing something. You need to come on. And so the point is that, you know, we engage, and it, it, it's hilarious because I just, I like the, I mean, God is just funny like that. He'll just set you up. But you know what? These guys, they curse, and it's funny because I have never, ever asked them not to curse, and it's, it, it makes me laugh. Every, I, la I, I literally laugh every time they do it. So we're in there playing racquetball, and one of them will be like, oh, and then they stop, and I start cracking up. I'm like, these guys, I said, I didn't tell y'all. Y'all don't have to, I'm, I'm good. My ears are not like that. You know, me and Jesus, my mouth, if it's coming out of my mouth, there's a problem. Hello. What y'all say, that's y'all's mouth. I'm not trying to come in here and make you be holy. But they choose to do that because, you know, they have respect or whatever the case is. But here is what happens. We need to be wise, right? We need to know when to communicate. We don't stop communicating the gospel. We don't stop being an example. We don't stop living a testimony. Because you know why these guys are telling me, you know, the, 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 um, the, the one guy shared with me his whole, he shared with me the reason why he's mad at God. You want to know why? Let me, let, let me, I'm going to tell you why so that way you never do something dumb like this. His, ne his, his nephews were like young kids, and his brother died. And when they were at the funeral, the person who was doing the service said, God needed his brother. And he's like, how on earth did God need my brother more than his sons do? I think that's a good question. Because that was a dumb thing to say. There are things that we don't understand. And that's exactly what I told him. I said, listen, man. I said, the truth of the matter is, that was just something dumb. And I said, and us as preachers, I said, I did a funeral for like a three-month-old baby. I said, you know how hard that is to try to make sense of a three-month-old baby dying? So that is, that is the hardest thing on planet Earth. I mean, that's like my son dying. I, that, I mean, how, how would I make sense of that? So I didn't get up there and be like, well, you know, God needed him. What did he need him for? He said, that would make no sense. But we say things, and listen, when you don't have an answer, Christians say, I don't have an answer. But I have a prayer. Can I pray for you? See, because it's a lot better to just say, let me pray for you, than to try to give you an answer that may turn someone's heart. This is like 20 years later, and he keeps going back to that, to the point that he reiterated it to me the second time. And I'm like, wow, why is he repeating this story to me? And it's because in his heart, there is something that is broken because of a bad communication. And so what we need to do is we need to make sure that we are not trying to convert people, but that we are devoted to living boldly, to living humbly, and to living faithfully, living out the gospel, and to pray for, to look for, and to recognize those opportunities to share our story of God's saving power. It's not our job to convert people, church. It's God's job to convert people. It's our job to share the gospel. It's our job to be witnesses. It's our job to pray for those who don't know them, who don't know Jesus. It's our job to do those things. And so my closing question for you is this. Are you committed to being living proof? Are you committed to being living proof? Are you committed to being a living epistle? Are you committed to being a living example every day of the gospel? that changed your life one day and continues to change your life every day. As you stand to your feet, please, bow your heads with me. If you're in this place and you do not know Jesus, today is the opportunity for you to put your faith in him. If you're in this place and you heard the preaching, you're like, man, I don't know if I know him. My life doesn't look like him. God calls you to repent of sin. God calls you to put your faith in him today, to trust him with your life. To recognize that you are not walking with him. Today he wants to change your life. 
The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So today you can put your faith in him.